this week on Deep Night. I love my little jade plant, whatever that thing is that grows in the rocks that I bought at Lowe's. And I'm lousy with aloe plants. You got a burn, I got the plant goo to rub on it. Oh, friends, oh, friends, it's me, Dale Seaver, and I am humbled by the great swirling spirits of the Ancient Ones to serve as your host, your guana-scented candle in the darkness and your roguish gatekeeper, standing guardian to the giant clear plastic box you've installed in your penthouse apartment, the one you keep all those cameras on waiting for another visitor from the deep night. Just don't bring any lattes. Yes, welcome wanderers and seekers all. What if I have been a David Lynch invention this whole time? What if I'm a doppelganger? Is my home a lodge? I'm telling you, that show creeps me out. Have you been watching it? Have you been watching the Twin Peaks? Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's back on. It's back on. It was gone for 25 years. Now it's back on, and I tried to summarize this show once before. Here's what I know happened. A long time ago, uh, when it first came on, it's up there in uh, by Snoqualmie Falls or something, up there in Washington State, and it's all very creepy up there. It sure is. There's no argument uh, for me. And they find a girl, and she's dead, and she's in plastic, and she's there on the beach. Oh, my gosh. And then, okay, well, all of a sudden, an FBI guy gets involved. I don't know why, but he's up there, and then he likes pie. Listen, I can't go through the whole thing, but then there's a horse, and then a guy's hair turns white, and then they have a whole nother. They have the diary, and you got to read through the diary to find all the clues, and then they put out another movie, which is difficult to get through, but apparently that's the one that leads right into this. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's still creepy. I think it got creepier, if that's possible. Well, we come to you tonight, as we always do, as long as they'll let us, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. And have I been watching too much Twin Peaks right before bed? Yes, I have. I tell you this, David Lynch must have had one scary ride alone through the woods with maybe a headlight out or something. No one makes a plain old tree look more deadly. Even his lamps scare me. And don't get me started on his outlets. Have you listened to this show, The Twin Peaks, with the sound all the way up? It's impossible. Talk about the heebie-jeebies. Jeez Louise, Dave, what's with all the static? Do you think David Lynch walks into a room and all he can hear are Coke machines and the humming of fluorescent lights? I met him once. He's a great guy and a terrific weatherman. Folks, nightmares aside, we've had such a tremendous season so far with many hours full of regrets and, yes, revelations. And this is not the end. We'll wrap things up uh, for season nine in a few weeks, but I wanted to take this moment, this this brief pause that we have between big events, and uh, to just uh, acknowledge and uh, appreciate the good work that we have done together all season long. Yes, 31, 32 episodes by the time it's all said and done in season nine, and uh, more than uh, 45 electrifying guests, countless positive vibrations sent out from the strange and widening sinkhole we call the deep night. Was that us popping up outside of Mar-a-Lago? Maybe. Sometimes I let my spirit self travel by sinkhole just to see the world from a new perspective. Well, considering my comedy career, looking up from the bottom isn't really that new, I'll be honest with you. 
The real world out there has become so bleak, ladies and gentlemen, and this show has tried to provide comfort and distraction and express our sympathies and our disbelief at all that has gone on and continues to go on and on and on. Sometimes I seek out happier news, like, for instance, the recent feature in the publication Quartz by a friend of the program, Jenny Avens, who let us know that there has been a shift in trends, and I'm happy to report that yours truly is right on brand this time, even ahead of the curve, as it were. Or perhaps it's a spiral. But Jenny reports from Los Angeles that the hot hipster trend of the Brooklyn lumberjack look is out. And the succulent, loving, awkward beards of the Silver Lake shaman are in. I love my little jade plant, whatever that thing is that grows in the rocks that I bought at Lowe's. And I'm lousy with aloe plants. You got a burn? I got the plant goo to rub on it. Yes, silver leg shamans. Lots of loose shirts and chains with owls on them, no doubt. People into holistic healing and the like. Well, the shamans, you are welcome here, and you're welcome in the deep night. I hope you'll discover and enjoy this podcast as you're uh, listening to a Tibetan singing bowl or something. Now, I don't know if I'm yet a shaman. I feel like I'm definitely shaman adjacent, like on the cusp of wearing a shawl year-round and putting a braid in my beard. I'm definitely on the spectrum. People have told me that. I may be a guru, speaking to a small but devoted group of followers. <laughs> That's him. Now, if I were to cross over into full shamanhood or gasp a guru, I would be in such good company in New York, a place where lots of famous gurus set up shop. Now, along the Hudson River, over in Nyack. Nyack? So Nyack. Uh, sure, there are many yogis and soaking spas and wellness centers, not unlike parts of Queens today. It's sad that they had to shut down Spa Castle, but when you find a dead body in the filter, well, you had a good run. Nothing relaxing about the pool cleaner's job that day. I've been so fortunate this week with all the retrograde nonsense out of the way. I mean, did I waste two hours at the library trying to get a passport for baby Pepsi the other day? Or did I gain two hours enjoying an incredible public institution? Who can say? But I feel as though, even though we didn't get the new apartment we were after, and even though my ice cream cone fell onto the ground after purchasing it just mere moments later... And none of my regular shirts fit anymore, and I paid $17 for a turmeric latte that tasted like cardboard and toothpaste. Even with all that, I'm so grateful and feel so lucky to have found a new friend, Mr. Kent Darby. Kent and I met at a turtleneck swap I set up in front of our building. I wasn't sure how many T-neck enthusiasts were roaming around, but the weather cooperated, and the cooler temps meant that suddenly I was swamped with swappers. Some bought necks to give, some took them away. All in all, I was given eight brand new XL shirts and one that I'm going to use as my gold turtleneck. Kent showed up around two and we got to talking and laughing and he stayed till almost eight when I finally took in the last shirt and folded up Galinda's massage table that I had used as a display zone and I took them back inside. I invited Kent up and we had a few Negronis and one too many handfuls of honey-roasted cashews and just settled into our papasan chairs for some good conversation. Of course, being two guys who know a lot about fashion and trends, I told him about the shaman thing, and we got to chatting about male rompers. I explained to Kent that even though I enjoy one-piece clothing, I don't want it to be only a summertime thing. So we kind of invented right there on the spot and keep this under wraps, Evu Plight. What if we had sewed a turtleneck dicky into a romp him? 
and thus was born the Rompim Neck, a male romper turtleneck. Business up top, party down below, good for fall or spring or those in-between days when you don't know if you need a vest or if you get too hot by the time you get to the subway. It's the perfect garment. Kent took off his socks and dropped them behind the chair. He talked about his work. I told him about the meditation center and the hijinks we get into and what happened with Tugger and all that. He is in distribution. He works for GNC, the place with all the vitamin supplements in the store that for one week in my 20s, I went on a serious protein waybender. My arms were huge, but my balls shrank to the size and shape of Christmas tree lights. That was discouraging. I guess you're supposed to not eat the entire container in one sitting, but that should have been printed in larger letters on the outside of the canister. I swore I'd never go in there, but Kent said I should come by the warehouse sometime and see how it all gets put together. Apparently, they make all the powdered supplements in the same place where they make bath salts and gold bond medicated powder. And if ever there were three things I wish could be found under one roof that is not my cousin's apartment in Ben Salem, then this is it. <laughs> so I said, sure. And we set up a reminder in our Google calendars. As it turns out, I had put a lot of things in the Google Calendar, but then realized I don't know how to use the Google Calendar. So let's just say I get why my dentist's office has been calling so frequently. This might be a good time to let you know that I still don't understand any of the following. Google+, Google Hangout, Tumblr, Snapchat. If there's another thing, you can forget it. Now, Kent is also in an open relationship. I guess there was some kind of article about that in the Times recently. Seemed a little hippie, even for me. But Kent said it was great, and he was a little hurt by the article because he'd always wanted to be photographed holding hands with four people, one of whom has weird knees. I mean, look, I'm not a shallow person, but knees are pretty important and pretty easy to maintain as a young polyamorous person. I imagine. I don't know. I suspect. So as the night went on, we moved from talking supplements to talking supplemental modes of human interaction— what he gets from one partner and what he gets from another one. At some point, I think it became clear that he was into exploring a very open situation between myself and Galinda. And I thought, well, I still want to check out that powder manufacturing plant, but I'm not quite ready to get into a sexual situation where I'm going to have to get used to the way another person smells. So I politely suggested that we turn on the salt lamp and sit in silence for a moment. Kent agreed, and then when I opened my eyes again, he was shirtless. And I said, Kent, I think it's time for you to put your turtleneck back on and go on home and get some rest. And he laughed and said it was just a prank, and I laughed because I hoped it was. And look, he's a handsome guy. I'm happy to know him. But there's no way I'm rushing into anything with a third person who doesn't pick up their socks. I pick up everyone's socks, and I'm sick of it. One more, no thanks. He understood and slipped back into a nice ribbed turtleneck that Marlene from next door had dropped off at the swap. It had been her husband's. He died in a spider bite accident. He saw the spider, but couldn't get his turtleneck off fast enough. But I didn't tell Kent that, since it really was a great fit for his skin color and build. We said our goodbyes, and I made a note to follow up with my new dental appointment first thing in the morning. You don't see as many rib turtlenecks as you used to. It would look good on a romp him or a romp her. Folks, have you listened to every episode this season? Well, goddess bless you. You know we've covered a lot of ground. From the origins of haunted houses in America with writer Colin Dickey. Spoiler alert, it's just weird architecture. To calling up psychics with Farrah Brook. Spoiler, some of them are lonely too. We talked with sex worker turned comedian Sovereign Sire. And we touched the fabric of the future. It's a mushroom. With inventor and artist Philip Ross. 
Michelle Buteau taught us about what not to keep above the fridge, and now Tony-nominated director for Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet, Rachel Chavkin, spat out her gum when we started talking about pewter wizards. Well, there's more to come. There's more to come. We've got a couple of great shows still on the horizon. But, folks, uh, I just have a lot of fun making this program. <laughs> I think we all do. Uh, and then when the unexpected happens, whether a shocking uh, reading of the mind from mentalist Vinnie DePonto or a midnight text from the moth's Dan Kennedy, I can't help but erupt in laughter and, and joy. And if that's not a great bomb for the evil of the world, I don't know what is. Now, an unsung hero of our live shows, he's so quiet and brilliant, Cornelius Loy. People say, how'd you find a theremin player, Dale? Well, I went to the theremin society, and that's how you find a theremin player. They recommended him. And once I saw a picture of Cornelius doing mm, goddess knows what, wearing half shirt and devil horns in some downtown performance venue, I was like, yep, that's the guy for me. Now, you won't find a sweeter person who also practices as much witchcraft as he does. Such a gem, that Cornelius. Also, his name is Cornelius. Well, season nine, it took me nine seasons, but I finally embraced my inner Garrison Keeler, threw out any attempts at hiding my true energy-worshipping self, and slipped into something more comfortable for the program. I hope we've made you proud, and I'm so thankful for all of you who have joined me here uh, listening to the show, or if you've come out to see us live, those shows, I've said it before, they have the bartenders laughing, uh, uh, Emily, the technician, Johnny, is laughing, the person that sits in the front of all the shows, with a long white beard eating his salmon, sometimes he's awake. So what I'm saying is they're terrific fun, and if you come, you come out uh, and, and see the show, if you've said, well, I'll give it eight or nine years and see how things settle in, now's your time, okay? Or, or you could uh, leave us a review, too. That would be nice. Um, and I, I, I said, well, maybe, maybe it just takes this long, is what I said to Galinda, and she's been such a powerful supporter of mine and my artistic pursuits. What she lacks in enthusiasm for open marriages, she more than makes up for in a quiet, sturdy presence. Had she not insisted that I quit my job, use my savings to help her open up a meditation center on the Gowanus, and give her plenty of space as she travels the country solo, helping women in suburban areas with little or no access to the healing rituals of the Global South, well, this season would maybe not have happened at all. I gain courage from her fierce warrior spirit, She's like a mighty lioness, always prowling about, sometimes tossing a sun-bleached cow skull onto the table. The other day, over matcha coffees, Galinda reached across the table for my hand. Because she prefers that I sit on the opposite end of the table, where the flow of chi is better, I had to put my egg beaters to the side and actually get up and walk over to her and, and, and take her enormous hand. And she folded another soft palm over mine and looked sort of at me, but also to the side of my head, like just over my left ear. And she said in that deep voice of hers, Dale, I'm so thankful for you. And she trailed off just as her phone rang. It was a call from a client in Montclair, and she wasn't able to complete her sentence, but I'm pretty sure she was going to say talent. And so, Galinda, thank you for that affirmation. I am talented, and I love sharing my talent with so many. Too honest? Too bad. We could use more honesty right now. For instance, we have a new receptionist at the meditation center. Her name is Poppy. Poppy is a monster. No one needs to talk that loud about chicken salad. I would address this with her directly, but I feel like slyly dropping this into a podcast is the most direct way to confront someone with whom you have an issue. I wish I could talk about chicken salad. 
I had a good one recently, but small talk is difficult for me unless I'm at a party or a stoop sale. In those two environments, I thrive. Oh, this season was also the one where I made my HBO debut. Did you catch me on the episode of Crashing with the big fella Pete Holmes? My photo was right up there behind the dreamy Gina Gershon. If you're a fan of that Meg Tilly vehicle, Bound, then you can imagine my excitement at sharing a scene with her. Even if it was just my photo and one taken from a few years ago, uh, it was still a thrill. And thanks to Mindy Tucker for taking the shot in the first place, and thanks to HBO for including it. That's pretty exciting. And now I'm putting HBO on my credits on comedy posters. Dale Seaver, Carrie's Crab Shack, HBO's Crashing. That ought to get me a middle spot at Caroline's for, like, a benefit show on some Tuesday afternoon. I did so many fun things this season and continue to do. One of them uh, was uh, a, a thing that I did was that I met Dick Cavett. I'm not going to say it was fun, but I spoke about this on the last episode. Let's put it this way. You think we'd have a lot to talk about, two seasoned entertainers, two masters uh, of the interview. And I said, uh, hello? And um, I took a selfie. I asked him if it would be okay. And he, uh, this is what he said afterwards. Are you going to post that? I said, ah, I might just save it from my scrapbook. And then I did a very strange thing. I patted him on the show. I reached out, and as if we were we were old children, some kind of motion of pity. I don't know if there was some kind of power play on my part. But I patted him on the back uh, as if he was a, a child. Uh, <laughs> I really don't know what it is. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I, I have an involuntary response to a situation in which I feel awkward, and I do exactly the wrong thing. And that's, uh, I'm not, he wasn't upset by it. I don't think it made an impression other than he knew he was not going to walk back towards me. But uh, kind of, I don't know, you're old. We don't have any connection. And I patted him on the, it was very, very awkward. Now, I did have some uh, good times with Sal Volcano uh, from the, uh, what's it called? Impractical Jokers. That show, people like that show. And Tom Sharpling uh, from The Best Show. Uh, we were having some yucks backstage. You know, that was good. That was like going to Cabo compared to the dark silence of eating pretzels next to Dick Cavett. I remembered what loneliness felt like. And it's eating pretzels next to Dick Cavett. Oh, I have been going on a lot of auditions for voiceover projects of late. Thank you for asking about that. Steve from Salina wrote in about that on the chat board, so I'm happy to respond to you and let you know what was going on there. You go into these recording studios, and some are just so deluxe, you know, with the padding and the, all the things you could want in there and the handsome microphones. My goodness, a lot of uh, mic cozies that I uh, covet. Uh, and, you know, it's just it's like any other thing, right? It's any other thing. you got personalities. Uh, one director so far has been late every single time, and I, as we have to hear about her whole commute and how uh, she's all, all very sorry running late. Uh, okay. And yet others are places you go in. That's the, the, it's fine that she's late because you're in a deluxe place, you know, and uh, it, it's fine. But th this this last place that I was in, I was generally concerned for my safety. If you ever drop in on Julie Cotter, casting agent, be sure and bring a little bug spray in your own water, because that place is a hole that should have been patched up. Now, I liked her, a little, little woman, uh, who kept her trash in a bag on the floor next to her desk. Who can be bothered with a trash can? Where does one even get one of those in New York City? Who has the time? That's a sign of a busy casting agent. That's who you want to be working with. It was very old school in there, you know, like she might also live there. 
Some studios, you, you, you truly, free snacks. You get uh, free, just bottles of water, TVs on, comfy chairs. This place had one beanbag with duct tape on the side and little pellets gathering in clumps on the floor. Those were the lucky ones. You ever <laughs> ever see that? You see this, the, the little pellets that got out of the bag, you think, yep, you made it. Good for you. Because there's a whole lot of other ones that are just dying on the bottom of that thing, being smushed and pushed. But um, uh, this also had a water cooler, this studio, water cooler with a kind of beige beige water. No matter what button you pressed, it gave you lukewarm water, right into the little paper cones. You know, not even cups, cones. I hope she's doing okay. Seems like she does a lot of those medical ads, the ones with the side effects. So, uh, anyway, fingers crossed. <laughs> That something can work out with her. Anything would be great. Another audition I went on, they they told me this. They said, well, oh, sound a little too much like Phil Hartman. Well, now maybe now is a good time to talk about how influential Phil Hartman was for me. Phil Hartman, very influential on me. That says it all. His cadence, his demeanor, his presence on SNL and then uh, Bill McNeil on news radio, so sublime and so easily grafted onto my young self. I know it seeped in and is part of who I am. I think there's something to the timing of Mr. Hartman that he shares with Jack Benny. And I've always been a big Benny fan. That Christmas episode where he tries to buy a watch and Mel Blanc is the store clerk and he's getting more and more upset since he keeps changing his mind. I'm telling you, it's the best. It's the best, one of the best things ever uh, uh, put on television. Phil Hartman, I used to do impressions of his impressions in class to get laughs. Uh, unfrozen Caveman Lawyer, Colon Blow, Bill Clinton, The Anal Retentive Chef. The, the chef, uh, these are all pillars, you know, for me and real touchstones and I'm... I'm happy to at least acknowledge that, you know, in this moment. And uh, honor is too big of a word, but we stand on the shoulders of giants, don't we? And he's certainly part of the pyramid of shoulders, of big shoulders that we're standing on. So as we prepare to seal up the metal reinforced storm cellar doors that lead to the hidden underground tunnel that leads to the portal that leads into the deep night, we take stock of what a year it has been, what spirits have guided us, and we start to think about summer plans. I'll be headed off soon with Galinda for a week in the hot springs outside of Myrtle Beach, and then we'll be off for some European destinations to leave some workshops and see some vortexes and visit some healing centers across the pond. We hope that the physical world will still exist when we return. Ah, and then a, a whole new season of Deep Night can begin again. And already I have some designs on uh, some changes and some enhancements, as it were, here and there. So, uh, yes, the first sneaky bit of info which I've told you about is that this is not quite the, the season finale just yet. That will happen on June 21st. Uh, we have another uh, couple of episodes uh, on their way, but that one is where we'll, we'll wrap things up officially. Um, because I can't go just yet. I had planned, I thought, well, this is a good time to end the season, but I can't go. I'm like a ghost still wearing a fisherman's outfit because he can't let go of his daughter who contracted tuberculosis, and he's this close to catching the elusive dark-water cod. Like that solemn figure, I can't quite let loose my grasp of this reality, this liminal space between the living and the undead that we call podcasts. We're doing this live show. Uh, uh, is going to be at, uh, when we do wrap it up, it will be at the Slipper Room, 
uh, live on Wednesday, June 21st, with a stellar lineup of ladies focused on politics and feminism and comedy and dealing with the current administration. What's next? What's happening? What's it all mean? I'll be talking with comedian and writer for The President Show, Mitra Johari, uh, Lily Herman of Teen Vogue and Allure, and uh, she burns it up on Twitter there. Uh, I'll tell you, Teen Vogue, that's where all the Woodwards and Bernsteins are now. They're all millennial women, so thank goodness. And uh, we'll have a few others on the program, too. Um, Cornelius Loy will be there on the theremin, and it is a benefit event for the folks at Brand New Congress. It's a terrific outfit that seeks to put forward common sense uh, candidates from either party to make a new government much like the way the old government at least aspired to be accountable to the people, full of integrity and honesty. We'll see. They need all the help they can get, I'll tell you that. So consider coming out. Tickets are available now online at the price of $12 and $10, or $25 if you want uh, uh, seats up top. Uh, that's a, a great perspective to watch uh, the show. It'll be a great time. I'm going to be doing this, uh, sort of co-presenting this uh, with a new group that Galinda is involved in called Blow, Brooklyn Ladies of Winning the Vote. And I could not be more excited to have this focused conversation uh, to kind of uh, wind up the season here. Wind up, wind down, uh, wrap up. Let's do that. Uh, I hope that we'll see you there at the Slipper Room on New York's Lower East Side, truly one of our better sides. Uh, down there. So a final uh, uh, th- uh, thank you. Not the final, final thank you, but for this episode, it is a, a final thank you. Uh, and uh, we look forward to another couple of episodes before we wrap it up. But truly, um, if we uh, don't get the chance to say it, then thank you for listening uh, to the show. Uh, so many of you have been with us since the beginning, and it truly does mean the world uh, to me. Uh, on another uh, note, um, the, the fine people at uh, Killing My Lobster, the sketch comedy group in San Francisco, celebrated 20 years of their existence, and uh, I am proud and honored to have been a participant in a small, small uh, sliver of their time. And uh, I uh, have been watching the many uh, speeches and things from that uh, celebration and was uh, quite touched. So happy 20th to uh, Killing My Lobster, and here's to 20 more, or, you know, some kind of reasonable amount. Thank you, and remember, although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night is written and performed by James Bewley with production assistance from Harvest Works in New York City. Music throughout each episode is provided by the amazing talents on the artistic roster of Howler Hills Farm in the great state of Ohio. Deep Night theme by Zach Gabbard, Season 9 podcast icon and logo designed by Samantha Mash. Download episodes directly through daleradio.com or subscribe and review the show on iTunes. Also available on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Follow Dale on Twitter at Dale Radio or Instagram at Dale Seaver for behind-the-scenes peeks into the production of the show and the life of Dale Seaver. Thank you to all the subscribers and supporters of this program, and thanks to you for listening. <laughs>